You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 101 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, as always, Andrew Forbes, here with one co-host, Peter Barracchini, and Alex will join us for our interview with Jay Rosehill, former Maple Leaf tough guy. Um, before we get to that, we're going to throw it right to the interview today because full hour episode, uh, interview with this guy. I mean, unbelievable guy, firefighter out, out in Alberta now and uh, doing some crazy stuff there. But uh, Jay was um, great to join us for an hour, so we appreciate mm-hmm. that. But before we do, Peter, how's your week going, my friend? Doing great. The fact that you brought up 101 brings me back like, you know, like high school or like, you know, university anxiety because it sounds like I'm taking a course right now. So it sounds like, you know, hockey podcast 101 kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I'm doing good. You know, obviously Halloween uh came and went very very quickly obviously we, we are i'm not gonna say i'm just gonna say this we barely got any trick-or-treaters in our area i don't know what happened but i guess who knows maybe kids are growing up falling out of love with trick-or-treat but then again who doesn't want free candy so i'm still trying to like wrap my head around the fact that we only got like four knocks on our door and it's like what i i that's kind of surreal to me right now Hey, I got my two-year-old out to about 20 houses, so I've got a full bucket of candy for myself. So Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> What's your go-to? Uh, oh, man. I, lo- I love Mars bars. I'm a Mars yes. bar guy. I'm a yes. Mars bar guy, big time. I like those deep-fried Mars brothers? bars. Oh, I think I think we might be. I think we might be. We found each other through oh, this podcast, man. and now we're relating through Mars bars. Oh. Um, Sorry, but Step yeah. Brothers are friends. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, it was a wild one. Uh, definitely came and came and went. We're we're heading mm-hmm. very quickly into November. Um, uh, now you know Christmas. Christmas is like less than less than two months away. Which is Christmas insane. ads are up. Christmas tunes and everything. Oh my god, we got the, we got the catalogs in the mail. It's it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. But um, like I said. Alex, uh, Alex had to run after our interview. It was an hour long interview with Jay Rosehill. Um, we, we are very thankful that he was able to join us for a full hour episode. So uh, we're, before, before we get to anything else, we're going to throw it right over to the, uh, the interview with Jay Rosehill. So here it is. We are extremely happy to uh, have certified tough guy on the show, played 117 games in the NHL. Eight points, but 352 penalty minutes. Jay Rosehill, welcome to Sticks in the Six. We are very happy to have you on. Thanks for having me, boys. Excited to be here. And uh, yeah, a few scheduling difficulties, but it looks like we're ready to rock. That's the world of Zoom, baby. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So... Andrew alluded to it right off the hop, but uh, obviously being a fighter for so many years, I'm sure you've been asked this question 10,000 times, but I got to know for myself. um, When you go down the list of guys that you've you've dropped the gloves with in the past, I mean, it's a a hell of a resume. And the one that sticks out in my mind more than anything else was uh, when you dropped him with Brian McGratton against Nashville. And it looked like you took like 40 punches in five seconds. I have no idea how you stayed on your feet. (laughs) Um, So I guess my question here is, uh, who is your toughest fight? Whether it was in the NHL, AHL, over in England, just uh, who was the toughest one? Yeah, I mean, he's up there, obviously. He's kind of a big bear of a guy. And he's the one that kind of comes to mind, too, when you're thinking – some big boys, but like, uh, you know, you go down the list and there's some pretty recognizable guys, but also at the same time, some of the guys in the American league, man, are just, they're so goddamn tough and, and they're just bred for it. And like they, they're even, they're even less skilled because you don't know who they are because they never made it to the NHL and they're just complete meatheads. And sometimes you get your hands full with those boys. Um, I always found it hard to fight kind of like a Michael Haley or a Gallant or some of these guys that are like, smaller than me but they're they're super strong and they're just wiry as hell and they just throw hard and they never back down and it's like I'm I'm much bigger than them and I'm supposed to beat them so if I beat them up or whatever if I draw with them which is most likely it's kind of like well hey why couldn't you beat them up and then if you lose to them god forbid oh my god it looks terrible right but those guys are goddamn tough and it's those medium-sized guys that are uh that can kind of come under the radar, especially in the American league that are, 
you know, they can give you a handful. And I never liked fighting those guys. I kind of like fighting uh, just a big, dumb moron that's not very good on his skates. And you can <laughs> kind of throw him around a little bit easier almost sometimes than, than those guys that get inside. But no, McRatton was, uh, he was pretty tough. And I just, I was watching everyone fight him that year. And everyone strings out so hard and tries to stay away and no one can land a goddamn thing. And it's kind of like a snore fest and the initial anticipation of the fight, everyone's on their feet ready. And then it kind of wanes off and then it's almost like, boo, do something, you know? So I'd switch and, and fight left-handed against him. And then we're both just throwing the same side. No one's holding on to anyone's throwing hand and I'm not left-handed. So it's kind of a disadvantage, but you just kind of give her and, and do your best. So I was trying to trade with him, but he's got, he's got size and weight on me. And I was just kind of eating. I'm trying to throw him back as best as I could, but, uh, we ended up going again my last year when I played in the UK and we had a pretty good scrap as well, but just always wanted it to be a good entertaining, uh, you know, more importantly, uh, momentum shifting energetic fight to fire the boys up is all I was really concerned about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've never been in a hockey fight before, let alone in the NHL. So my opinion doesn't really carry a lot of weight. But I can imagine that, you know, the bigger guys are probably you got the advantage where you can you can at least try and knock them off balance and stuff. Probably more so than the guys who are 5'10", 5'11". Yeah, sometimes it depends how good they are on their edges and their skates. If he's a big, uncoordinated guy, you can get that advantage and it looks good. But uh, if you get a big boy that's good on his skates and good on his edges, then you're going to have your hands full for sure. But uh you know, it really didn't matter size wise. It was, there's just tough guys all over the board, man. And any given night you can get two guys that'll fight. And it's just, it's a total toss up to who's going to get the edge. And as long as you've all been doing it for a long time and you're good at it, it's, it's a total coin flip, right? So anytime I, you know, a guy lost or you got the best of someone, you know, damn well, if you, if you did it the next night, it could be a different story. So I think that's kind of why there's always that mutual respect and no one gets too cocky about fighting. Cause everyone knows that, you know, it could be anyone's night at any point in time and, and everyone kind of gets that, right? Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, you know, coming from somebody who's never been in that position before, I think it's a win in itself that you just stayed on your feet throughout all that. That must have been over 100 bullets in oh, the head yeah. by the end. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of fights, I just want to throw this out there, Jay. Um, obviously, there's a lot of talk right now, especially since the Maple Leafs played the Philadelphia Flyers, a whole talk about how Matthews didn't drop the gloves with Travis Konechny, and then Mark Giordano comes into his defense. I just want to get your quick take on that. Obviously, the game has gone from, you know, a more physical in-your-face style from, like, you know, the mid-thousands, early tens to right now where it's all, like, you know, fast-paced and more skilled. But I just want to get your take on the whole Matthews not fighting Konechny, having someone else come in his battle, because it seems like when somebody says, oh, someone needs to protect Austin Matthews, they need to step in. But now when someone else is stepping in for Austin Matthews, they want to say, oh, he can't protect himself. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. I'm I'm actually going to re record a piece tonight for our show tomorrow that I uh, I'm going to be touching on that because it's crazy. You go on Twitter and it, just like you said, you can't win, right? Either mm -hmm. someone needs to get, if he fought that, that game, everyone would be like, he's our 60 goal man. Like, what is this team doing? I yeah. knew this was a bad look for the Leafs. I knew they had no team camaraderie. No wonder they've been losing. They won't even stick up for their number one guy. And then he does that. And everyone's like, this is bullshit. He doesn't have any balls. He needs to fucking fight his own fights and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you can't win. But my perspective of it is like, which way do you want to go? Do you want him to be fighting the, these guys? And, and he's got a bad wrist that he missed time mm. with last year. Break your hand, break anything, hit your head on the ice, whatever. You miss five weeks, all of a sudden they go down a tumble and now they're in a big freaking hole after November. That's no good. You just don't want those guys fighting. But what I saw was, you know, Konechny goes right after him. He gives him an FU chop back, then a little cross check, then kind of a half of a spear. And Konechny's just flat out trying to be an asshole, like flat out coming after him and wants a piece of them right and matthews is going where this game's over you guys are being morons you're trying to show off for torts fuck off right and then uh and then geo came in and they rolled around and then and then the guy came after him again once there were no linesmen around when they're taking the boys to the box so he comes at him again and then austin gave him a huge shot right under the chin on the chest says fuck off you know he's doing as much as he needs to where i'd be concerned is if he does this shit like a, a johnny goudreau where you fall on the ice and cover your face and turtle and hide and lay, throw your gloves off and just play the big uh the big victim oh my goodness i'm dead type of role i can't stand that shit and i don't think 
you know, Matthews has ever done that. He's always kind of been there. Like he's not getting in guys' faces. He's not stoking the fire, but if a guy comes after him, he's going to give you a chop. He's going to give you a cross check. He's going to give you a punch. And, and rightfully so that doesn't mean that he needs to fight the guy. And the funniest thing is people are saying on Twitter that he's instigating all this and stick slashing guys and starting all this shit and then not finishing it. Like, Connecting, he went right after him. So all Matthews could do and all I think he should have to do is give the guy a couple of shots and get the fuck out of here and then wait for his boys to come in, which they did. I thought it was perfect. I had no problem with it. And all the takes that I hear about him are are kind of almost senseless takes that I'm like, what What were you watching, man? And what do you expect? Yeah, I, I mean, you're pretty new to Twitter. So, I mean, all I can say is welcome to the shit show. This is the <laughs> yeah. shit happens after every single game. Like the Leafs played four of the worst games that we've seen from them this season. And then last night, there's nothing Burning to criticize. So naturally, Burning this is right after those four more. games. Oh, man. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing, though, as you, Jay. Like I-, I went on Twitter and said, like, I think at this point, this this guy's earned himself the the position of saying, you know what? I don't have to fight. I don't have mm-hmm. to drop the gloves. I, I've I've won the Rocket Richard for two straight seasons. There's nobody nobody's even come fucking close to touching my my Rocket Richard. And now you've got guys like Michael Bunting. You've got guys like Giordano who will come in and defend. Like Giordano took Konechny down like he was a linebacker. Like he just flew in there, right? And that's that's. I mean, those are the guys that are going to come in and be role players. And that was, I mean, in your career, that's something that you were. You were a role player, right? Like you you knew mm-hmm. what your role was. You came in and you did the job. And I, I want to get your take on, on the mentality behind the role player. Like what in, in the room like that, when a guy stands back, like, like Matthews did, and he, he gives you kind of the, the fuck you smirk that he was giving to uh Konechny, you know, guys going back in the room, are they, are they kind of, you know, saying, Hey, 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 Maddie, we got your, we got your back or, or what's the idea there in, in the room? Yeah, it depends what it is. Like, uh, you know, you, if you go flat out to stick up for a guy and, and, uh, you know, jump in there for him basically, because he's not a role guy and, and you don't want him in that position. So you, you take it away and, and put yourself in between him. Um, you know, usually just kind of a whack on the pads or something like that, or a, that a boy, but, um, you know, cause there's pride and ego involved and, you know, a guy's probably not very happy that he can't do that. Maybe he wants to, but he knows he's not really allowed to, you're a 10, $12 million guy. You're, you know, you're going to get in shit, but you might feel like a little bit down that that had to happen or whatever the case is. He's always going to give you a whack in the pads and you're going to feel good about it. But you know, the biggest thing with that role is, is when you go step up to their tough guy, or if anyone's running around and you go challenge him and then your shit comes off and you're bare knuckle fighting that guy, the boys on the team just respect the hell out of it. And and they get up and they kick it. And that's the first thing they say at intermission when they come in to the room um, whether you're sitting there after a fight or whether you came with the team, uh, you know, after the period or whatever it is, it's always, I was, I always like getting, you know, fighting in the last five minutes of a period. Cause then you're in the dressing room by yourself, kind of coming back to reality. And then all the boys come in and they're all fired up for you. Right. It's kind of cool. But, um, I've always felt like the, the guys really respect that when you go and do that for the team, whatever reason, whether it's guys going after a star or hitting your goalie or being an asshole, you just need a, you just need a jump, but you, you need some life on the bench. Whatever it is, it's always cool that guys understand what that is and what that means. And and I've always felt like guys are uh, appreciative of it, which is nice. Yeah, before we, before we move away from the topic of toughness, I mean, we Peter mentioned that the game's changing a little bit. You know, there's not that there's not really as much of a, I would say, an emphasis on toughness as there used to be. Um, you, but still, when you go deep into the playoffs, you watch teams that go deep into the playoffs. They've got a good mix of skill and toughness on their team. Um with the way the Leafs roster is right now, do you think that there's, do you think that they'd be able to channel, sorry, channel that inner toughness heading down into, into the playoffs and be able to sort of make that perfect mix as they get there? Or do you think that they should be adding somebody maybe a little with a little more of that toughness identity to help them out down the stretch? Um, Like, I think that they have it within their organization. It's just not necessarily in the lineup all the time. I mean, you look at Wayne Simmons and Kyle Clifford. I mean, those guys can handle themselves in this league nowadays with absolutely anybody. Um, and I've, I've been a big proponent of, of Wayne being in the lineup every single night. I thought their best game was still in Winnipeg there. And it was just a full-on energetic 
you aren't stopping this this train mentality of not just Wayne but of the whole the whole group and it was contagious and I love that stuff and like you said when you when you're winning Stanley Cups and going deep in the playoffs you have that good mixture of of guys that can play in those depth roles and in the bottom six and and guys with some toughness but you need them to be able to play a little bit too nowadays right they can't be a liability getting scored on all the time and not keeping up with the with the pace of play and turning the puck over and whatnot so that 2006 kind of tough guy is has definitely been phased out but um you look at wayne simmons like why that guy's played a thousand games he's been a power play guy he's been a top line guy he can still keep up he can still make plays um little snake bit in last year just hard hard to put the goals in he, he wasn't happy I, I talked to him personally he just wasn't happy with his his year and i don't think anybody was but I think he's, I don't think he's done. And like, you just can't tell me that he can't play on the fourth line of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, I think that rounds out your fourth line so goddamn well. Like you got a guy with so much experience plays with jam the way that this team seems to struggle with playing with jam. And you know, that kind of thing's contagious. And like you say, then you got a guy, a tough guy that can go into the, any game and, and settle things down. I promise you connect me and those guys wouldn't fucking touch Austin Matthews when he's in the lineup and they don't. But when it's when there's no one in the lineup, it's open season, man. And I guarantee you, Matthews would be like, I am so much sore and more tired after a game where Wayne's not in the lineup than than when he is, because guys just take liberties with me and come after me and try to give me that extra shot. And it's constant. And I just want to find it where they can get the wheels going with Wayne in the lineup and then kind of solidify themselves and get themselves well-rounded and start to work on that identity, like you said, because that's where you need to be come playoff time, right? Yeah, I mean, you're bang on when you say that just having Wayne's presence in the lineup should be enough to get them fired up. I mean, you look at the game that they played against Winnipeg in Winnipeg last year, and pure Luke Dubois just ragdolled Austin Matthews, and there was all sorts of bullshit in that game. And I know Simmons was in that game as well, but you can you can definitely see a difference this year when he, he dressed against the Jets, and there was a lot less of that bullshit. There was still some of it because the two teams don't like each other, but you don't really need him to be going out there and dropping the gloves every single night. It's just having him there, knowing that he's, he's going to have your back. If shit hits the fan, like it, it, that's gotta be a massive impact in the room. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I totally agree. He doesn't have to go out there and fight and be a meathead, but just the way he plays and he bangs and he crashes. And when people know that he's in the lineup, they're just going to back down a little bit more They're they're going to, they're going to go an alternate route to try to get to, to the players and to win the game they're they're not going to go after the star players they're just not because not very many guys are willing to bare knuckle fight wayne simmons yeah and i think the <laughs> biggest thing might with, be an understatement <laughs> and i think the biggest difference with him this year and i noticed that the fourth line last year they didn't quite have that speed factor especially against tampa bay but i noticed that like from the onset of camp wayne seemed to have like a little bit more pep in his step like he was more quick he and we saw how great that assist was that no look between the legs pass. So he still got the nifty mitts to try and make plays. And the fact that, yeah, I agree. I think at some point you need to start showing Wayne or give Wayne some more ice time right now, but because he is going to be a factor down the long run. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I just, I like him in the lineup and I just, just for the reason to pull him out is, is why, I mean, you look at some of the other guys in the bottom six who don't do a whole heck of a lot at times. I mean, Aston Reese scored last night, which was great. But aside from that, I don't see a whole lot going on um, with him, why he'd be a staple on that fourth line where, you know, like I said, with Wayne's experience and and with his, uh, with his list of accomplishments and understanding of the game, like put him in net front, he can tip everything. He'll bang stuff in. He can't keep be cleared out and brings that toughness factor that I really think they're lacking most of the time. Right. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, you know, you had a a very long career, you know, stemming from AJHL, ECHL, AHL to the NHL and even to Britain too. I mean, you, you like the resume that for your for your career is just absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, what was the biggest thing that you learned on your junior or not your junior hockey, but your your career from junior hockey to, you know, retirement and even right now post retirement? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, I was, you know, when I got drafted and, and got a scholarship and stuff, I was a defenseman. So played, uh, played in Minnesota Duluth there as a D man and, and then left school early to, to start playing pro. And my first two years in the American hockey league were, were as a defenseman and, you know, post that post lockout of Oh five, there was, you know, so detrimental to the rules, so much changed yeah. everything that I did that, that uh was valuable it was almost taken out of the game so i kind of had to reinvent myself but 
Um, what I knew is that I could skate well, you know, I, I, I didn't have the silkiest mitts or the most patience. And I wish I learned a little bit more to kind of relax with the puck and not overthink things, but, you know, just, uh, going through the steps and going through the ranks every couple of years into a new league, into a new league and being a guy that was always trying to kind of stay on that team and get to the next level and stay in the NHL and stuff, you know, you tend to grip your stick a little bit too much. And I did that for sure. And I, I could go do stuff in practice that looked pretty dirty that I wouldn't even dream of trying in, in, uh, in a game because for whatever reason that it was on a pedestal for me. And I wish I learned more how to kind of relax and be loose. But then again, when you're getting X amount of shifts and, and if you cough up the puck or turn it over or don't get it deep, you're in the fucking press box the next night. It's not exactly a, a recipe to start being creative and working on your, your confidence and stuff like that. You just don't have that luxury. So the thing was when you keep moving up the the leagues and you keep moving up the ranks and, and trying to get to the next level and, and start being successful with that, it's, it's kind of tough to, to work on your game and get, get used to things and get some time to develop and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's a process. I, the, the thing I learned the most is that, you know, don't be too high and don't get too low. You know, the mountains don't get too high and the, the valleys don't get too low. And there's a lot of valleys in that business, you know, and especially when you're a bubble guy, uh, you know, you get sent down, you know, you don't make this team or you're not playing or you're scratched a bunch or whatever the case is. I just always told myself like every single time this has happened, it, it is, it's a quick turnaround. Like there's something's going to happen. A guy's going to get injured. A guy's going to get dealt and then boom, you're going to be back. And so many times I thought I was miles away from the NHL or my time was done. And then boom, I'd be right back there. Um, whether you got traded to Philadelphia or um, the lockout ended and you jump on with a team or whatever the case was. And, you know, I've had buddies that are still playing like Luke Shen, for example, is, you know, he was almost done playing. He just about was done. He, he almost hung him up and, uh, and he was having a tough time there where he was in Utica and there's a guy that's never stepped foot in the American league. And he's been in the NHL since he's 18. And I just told him, I said, Luke, that's not, I just promise you, if you, if you go out that way, you'll regret it. And when you look back at your career, that is going to stand out over all the other shit that you've done. Don't, don't let it be that way. I promise you these valleys, they don't last forever, man, in this business. Like I know you feel like a million miles away, but things will happen. And then boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden he's winning cups and getting multi-year deals with Vancouver and he, you just got to stick it out. So I think that's something I learned through through all that ups and downs is that the downs never last forever and you stick it out. And I know guys that quit the game that, that probably shouldn't have, but it's a lot on you in that business, but you just got to, you got to stay tough. I think is the number one thing I took out of it. And it seems like you had a and life coach. I was just about to say, it seemed like just based on the comments that you made on Luke Shen, I mean, there was a lot of pressure on him. I remember when he got drafted and everyone was putting him on that pedestal as like a top, top, top pairing defenseman. And obviously he had some rough stints with the Maple Leafs. I was just about to say, um, what, like, did you like, what was your relationship like with Luke? Obviously, you know, trying to build him up and make sure that he gets back into the game. But like, even as a youngster, like what, what advice were you giving him, especially to a young player at that time? Yeah, not too much advice to him by the time we were playing, to be honest. I mean, he was so established and solidified and we were just buddies on the airplane, right? We like to bullshit and joke mm -hmm. around and have a drink and listen to some country and laugh and joke about dumb shit. And we just, every, every game I was in the NHL on the plane, I sat beside him because he was in both Toronto and Philadelphia when I was there. So um, just always stayed in touch with him, golf with him every summer. And we see each other in BC and stuff like that and stay in, in touch with each other. And that's that was the time when I had just retired and he was going through a rough patch in his career there. And, uh, we, I just had time. We just reached out and we're bullshit on the phone all the time. And, you know, you get him, you just got to get him to, uh, to keep things in perspective. He had a rough time with, you know, he's having babies and his family's not allowed to come down with him. And if he gets traded, they're going to be living here. And that's all the stuff that comes into play that I don't think people really recognize. But, uh, at the time when I was playing with them, I, I was just always in shock and awe of like, how could you step into this league at 18 years old and not shit your pants? Like it was always so impressive to me because at 24 and 25, you know, you're still young and it's still difficult and it's still this eye opening thing, but it's a long cry away from being 18 years old. I mean, you're still a yeah. baby. Look at an 18 year old right now. It's like, are you kidding me? The average kid can't even handle the fucking smallest thing. And Luke Shen's in the NHL as the face of the Toronto Maple Leafs with all that pressure. It's, it's just always so impressive to me when guys do that. It's like, who raised you and how are you ready for this so fast? Because to me, it was, 
that NHL was such a pedestal that you had to kind of almost be an adult to handle it, you know, and uh, it's just a, it's a testament to him and, and where he was at the time and how developed he was at a young age. I think I don't think it could be overstated the fact that it was the face of the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. Like, you know, obviously the NHL is the mm. NHL, but in Toronto, when you have a bad game, you've got all these reporters at your throat calling to trade you, calling to, you know, bench you, whatever, send you to the minors, all that. So, yeah, I, I can't imagine being in Shen's shoes at that time, 18 years old. Like, fuck, that's like five, five years younger than me. I can't like that's unreal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Alex is the baby of our podcast, so yeah. I just aged aged the rest of us here. But I just shaved a few days ago from November, for the record. So this isn't. I can grow facial hair. Okay, <laughs> I believe you. Uh, Peter mentioned your your play over in the EIHL, um, and you mentioned your silky mitts that you had in practice. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to take note of the the twenty two points in forty games that you had for for Brayhead, and then seventeen points to to close out your your hockey career in forty two games for Manchester. What was it like playing over in Britain and, and uh, you know, different kind of mentality or, or, or you're still kind of focused on the same role that you played at the NHL level? No, it was a different mentality. I mean, I, uh, I kind of went over there. Their coach, Ryan Finnerty is kind of an, he's an Alberta boy. And he called me and, and just said if I was interested and I had something going on with Phoenix at the time and, and then it fell through last minute. So I started to look at, at his proposition kind of seriously and he was in Glasgow and in Scotland and I'm kind of a golf fanatic. So I'm looking at the golf courses on the Rota there and everything. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And looking at the teams and reached out to a couple of guys and there's like the whole team's almost Canadians. And then you sprinkle in some, some, uh, other UK guys and the British guys. And, you know, it's just such a, a better feel than, you know, guys I know that went over to Russia and there's two, two guys that aren't Russian on the team. And one guy's a Finnish guy who hardly speaks, you know, English either. And it is so depressing. And you're living in this shithole city where there's a tank still on the sidewalk from world war two. And there is no mall. There is no swing set for your kids. There is nothing. And it's just like guys go into a, into a deep dark abyss when they go over there. And I was like, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not finishing my career like that. So kind of looked into there. And once I got over there, Finner's like, dude, I need you to be like the captain of these teams. I need your experience. Um, you're going to play on the top couple of lines. I want you on net front in the NA or uh, net front in the, uh, on the power play. And I played like more than a regular shift. And then, you know, all of a sudden you got your, your legs are warm and they're not burning every shift and you can relax and you don't get screamed at and punished for, for turning one over and stuff. And then all of a sudden you could start playing. So I had that great first year. My family came over there and everything, uh, had a young family at the time and, um, and then we moved over to Manchester cause Finnerty moved over to Manchester and asked a couple of us to come with them. So then all of a sudden you're living in Manchester, England, just down from man United stadium. Um, and you know, you're still golfing all over the place there. The schedule is easier. I can fight as much or as little as I want. And it was just, it's just such a wicked, uh, easy going, positive experience. My son was going to a school there and he had a, he had a thick British accent when we came home and he's wearing the school boy uniform and everything. It was just crazy. And, you know, me and my wife got to go over there and experience that. And it was a total trip for us. So, you know, so many guys I know have to finish their careers because they got injured or they got cut or they got sent down or they just didn't get a fucking contract. And then all of a sudden September, October hits and you're like, well, I guess I'm never going to play another game again. Like, like what a feeling, right? You've been doing this for, for 30 years and I got to quit on my own terms and I got to go out positively happily with, uh, with, you know, a good experience behind me. And I knew from Christmas, my last year, it was going to be my last, my last season. Cause I decided that. And, got to go out on my my own terms which I always thought I was lucky to be able to do because not everyone gets to do that you know some guys just get the shit end of the stick and it's tough to go through all that because like I said to Luke when you look back on it kind of that last little bit is kind of what you remember almost and it sucks when you don't go out on a positive note you know mm-hmm. I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw a follow-up to you as well because I mean obviously you and I are the only two dads here right now these other two you know they're still still working on their life goals but um <laughs> what's it like having your kids now and you mentioned one's off playing hockey and, 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 you know, having them see kind of what you did for a living, uh, you know, at the NHL level or whether it was in Britain or whatever. Yeah, it was cool. Um, you know, my kids, I had my oldest son when, uh, when I was still playing in Philadelphia. So he got to watch me, although he doesn't really remember, but, uh, you know, coming up, they always kind of knew, 
what the deal was and that I played didn't really know like what it meant or whatever. It's just a normal thing to them. And then, you know, once my nine year year old gets older, um, you know, he starts collecting hockey cards and then he got my hockey card in a package once from like the dollar store that was like the old riffraff cards, I think. <laughs> but he's like, what the hell? Like this, you really did this. And then he falls in love with the Maple Leafs overnight all of a sudden. And so we jump on an airplane and we go to Toronto last year and he's in the stadium, man. And he's just in shock. And he just kidding. He's like, you did that. Like you were, you did that. You were one of those guys and like kind of sank in for him. And I, it's kind of cool. It makes you proud that that they take interest to it and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just neat to be able to do it. And some guys are really lucky and they get to play forever and their kids are like 10 years old watching them play. So that's where it would be really neat for sure. But, uh, no, it was, it's fun. Uh, it's fun to have the kids and to be able to play with them. I coach them now and they're really into the game, which is neat. And I, I it's not because of me, I kind of backed off hockey once I, I retired and, and took a breather and, and just said, if they want, if they take to it, great. If not, you know, we can do other things too. And especially my oldest just all of a sudden took to it last year and is just obsessed and just gets chirped all over here for wearing his Maple Leaf gear head to toe, but he doesn't care. <laughs> but he can, you know what, if people chirp him, you can just be like, my dad will beat the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I, I'll yeah, tell not, him to try that. Not, not, yeah, not too many people, not too many kids can say that. Buck, I wish I could have said that when I wore my Leafs jersey <laughs> after the game seven choke in 2013 to school. Um, so speaking of, uh, speaking of the Leafs again, um, Phil Kessel's been in the news a lot lately. Obviously, he's the leader of the Ironman streak now. He's uh, 400 career goals, and you know, I, now that now that you know he's kind of dominating the headlines again, everybody's coming out with a with a story about Phil and something. He just seems like one of the most interesting guys in the entire world. Um, so, first of all, what was it like sharing a dressing room with him, being his teammate? And do you have a favorite story of his? Ah. <laughs> uh... Yeah, Phil, it was cool, man. Like he's just kind of one of the, he's just such a character. Like he's kind of a nonchalant, I don't want to say lazy, but yeah, he's kind of, he is kind of lazy. He's just like, <laughs> and he's just got this higher pitch voice. He's oh my God. Like, are you fucking kidding me? You'd always say, oh, what? I'm fucking, I'm not doing it. I'm just not fucking doing it. And he's just bitch. And he'd walk around with his hair all disheveled and his, He's in his flip-flops and like sliding them along the ground. Like I went to a movie with him one day and it was like, I don't know, we got a bite to eat at like Dundas Square for some reason beforehand. And he's in like these sweatpants, he's in flip-flops and socks and this toque and a hoodie. And he's just like, like can't even pick up his feet, right? Sliding through Dundas Square and everyone's looking at him going, Phil Kelly, and he's oblivious to it. And it's just fucking hilarious. Like that's Phil, right? But put a pair of skates on him and, uh, you know, give him the puck and he just takes the fuck off and there's no reason for it. His legs are little pins. His upper body's kind of a milk bag. He doesn't work out hard. He doesn't eat incredibly well or anything. Like it's just pure God-given talent where his legs just work in a certain way that it's efficient and fast and he's just gone, man. And he candy, he'd use like a 65 flex stick, like so much whip in it. And then he'd candy cane it with that white mm -hmm. tape. He still does it. And then he'd take the candy cane off and like tighten it up a little bit if he wanted a little bit, little bit less flex on it and stuff. And I was like, do you think that actually matters, dude? And then <laughs> and then one time, like we were shooting against like the empty net or something like that. And and I'm like, let me see this stick. Like, how do you let me see what you do with this stick and why you use it and stuff? And he's like, and he like just preloads the stick behind. I mean, it's how you're supposed to shoot, but his was just so exaggerated. Like he's preloading the stick behind the puck. And then it, this thing's just flexing so hard. And then he just kind of has to like move his hand forward and the thing just does the work and just his release was so quick and fast and effortless. And it's just, it's just cool. Like I had talent coming out of his ears and it was fun playing with him and, and seeing his talent and then just getting the bullshit with him off ice too. He just wants to play poker and hang out and just, he's just a good old boy. And I remember that tweet he sent out when he's supposed to be in the playoffs and he's like, no place I'd rather be. And he's in his fishing boat. <laughs> it's like playing Toronto, man. What are you doing? But he's a character. I, I, I think the, the story that I read about him last week that caught me off guard the most was when I read that he didn't drink water ever. Like, I, I don't understand that. Like, was yeah. he, was he drinking Coke out of his bottle on the bench or what? Uh, I don't know how true that is. Like that's a John Daly thing where he hates the taste of water and all he drinks is Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah. But I know he liked to have the Diet Coke and they would try to get something else in his, in his hands and stuff. But 
as far as never drinking water, I can't see that, man. That's just, uh, I don't even think if you can perform, if you have that much talent being full of nothing but diet Coke. <laughs> Peter, I'm going to jump in here real quick because yeah, yeah, I, I, I want to go with the coaches you had in Toronto as well. Um, you had Ron Wilson and then were you with Randy Carlisle at the, at the tail end there before, before you yeah. were out? Yeah, I yes. was there at the end. So, I mean, first off, I want to get like your thoughts on, on both playing for Ron Wilson and Randy Carlisle. And, and if you had any stories on Randy before, before you, you were, you left for Philadelphia. Yeah. Playing with Ron was good. He didn't want me in the lineup as much as Berkey did. And they kind of bought butt heads about that. And Berkey would kind of have to veto him sometimes. And then, um, you know, Ron didn't like me in there as much, but, uh, never just, he was always fair to me and fine. Never had too much to say. Um, Randy, Randy was kind of, uh, you know, when he, when he got traded there, there was a couple guys that were on the team who had played for him in, in the past. And they were like, get me the fuck out of here if he's coming. <laughs> and I wanted Dallas Eakins to get hired so bad. Cause I had played with him in the Marlies and I just thought he was such a good fit and such a good players coach and just what we needed at the time. And, and then they went with the experience and hired Randy. And I don't know. I just thought like, to me, he was, he was arrogant. And I mean, one, one story, like we were in first game, I, I've only had one practice with this guy. He doesn't really know me from Adam. I'm coming out of the shower. Cause I showered up after my warm up, threw on my undergear and then started putting my equipment on and went out for a warm up. And I'm in the middle of like toweling off. And he's like, Rosie, I want to talk to you. And I was like, sure. And I was like, do you want me to come out like right now? Or he's like, he's like, no, no, just get your, get changed up, get dried off. You're fine. I'll meet in the hallway. I'm like, okay. So quickly towel off t-shirt, shorts, shoes, like no socks, no, not like get out there. My coach is waiting for me. I go out there and he's standing with his hand open to the tunnel that goes out to the bench. And he goes, nice of you to fucking join me. And then I'm like, what? I must've taken like 25 seconds. So then I get towards him and then he walks down the tunnel and closes the door in my face. So I got to reach and fucking pull the door. I'm like, okay, whatever. This guy's being a sucker. And then he goes on the bench and gives me the spiel about the half wall and how, how much trust he has to have in me there and how important it is for my game. And if I need to play, I'm going to be doing all this stuff on the half wall and you got to protect it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, absolutely. And I'm giving him the answers that he wants to hear. And yeah, that's going to be a big part for me to build trust in you and blah, blah. And he's like, that's right. You're not fucking playing tonight. And then walks down the thing. And I'm just standing there. Like he could have told me that probably in the morning. Right. And just that kind of shit, man. I'm just like, what is the point of that? So then guess what? Guess how great I'm feeling the first time I do get to play. Do you think I'm fucking firing on all cylinders and I'm all confident? Or do you think I'm going, oh my God, this guy's watching me like a hawk. He already hates me. If I fucked up on the half wall one time, that's probably the it for me. Then, you know, how much success does that set you up for? So, you know, it's that kind of stuff. And Tim Hunter was there the whole time I was there. And I just, I saw him in an airport once a few years ago and I fucking like, started like breaking out in a sweat. Cause the, I just, I fucking can't stand the guy so much. Like he would just, he was just awful. Like I would, he'd bag skate me if I wasn't playing, which is totally fine. And bag skate me this one time over and backs, over and backs, over and backs up to 10. And I'm just straight legging it. And then he's like, okay, back down over, back, over, back, over, back to 10, then over, back, over, back up to nine, all the way back down. So then afterwards he just, he doesn't say shit to me. Right. He just steps off the ice as soon as I'm done and never talks to me again the rest of the day. I sit down on the bench, start throwing up, just puking the thing. I feel bad for the trainers. They're squirting the, the fucking puke off the bench and stuff. I'm like, sorry, boys, I didn't feel that coming. They're like, oh no. Like they saw how bad he bagged the shit out of me. So I, I go home, can't eat anything. Cause I'm, I'm so weak and shaky from like, like Navy steel type fucking bag skate. And then I go home and I just fall asleep on the couch. Can't eat nothing. I'm just weak and shaky. Can't do nothing. All of a sudden I wake up and I have like 10 missed calls and messages and all this shit. And I'm like, what? last call was the trainer. I dial back. He's like, Rosie, where are you? I'm like, I'm at home. He's like, you're fucking playing. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I run upstairs, put a suit on, run down to my truck. I am fucking flying down the gardener, trying to get there as fast as possible. Then the phone rings and it's a trainer. And he's like, where are you, Rosie? I'm like, on the fucking way to your Canada center. Where do you think I am? And he's like, Hunter just came in and said, you better not miss the fucking move or the, the video. And I'm like, like, he's just a sucker to you and he he'd tell you that you weren't that tough and oh you can fight that guy that surprises me and why do you chicken shits these days need red bull like fuck i played 600 games in the in the league and i didn't need any red bull you guys are fucking soft it's like you hardly had to skate and you were smoking darts in the intermission you fucking old like are you kidding me man he like this is a guy that's supposed to be 
making me better. Like you get paid to make your players better. You're supposed to get us to be as good as we possibly can. And that's how you go about it. Like he'd just watch me, he'd put me on video to make a mistake and just rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind, play, just to fucking embarrass me. And it's like, I went down to hit a guy and the, and the puck squirted to my D man and they got a shot off. And then after the video, the guys would be like, did you bang his wife or something? Like, what is that all about? Like, he just has this hate on for me. And it's like, Jeez. why wouldn't you like help? I just can't imagine that I'm the assistant coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs or any other organization, some 20 something year old kid who's fought his way here and did kind of what I did growing up. And I, now I'm his coach and I fucking go about it that way. Like, that's what you would do if your job was to get him out of the league or to make him underperform. So he was never there again. Like, it's just... It's crazy. And some of those old school coaches, man, I have so many stories of, of old coaches where it's just like, you're a fucking maniac if that's what you did and you thought you were a good coach. And that's why I like seeing these new coaches come in here, like the John Coopers that, that, you know, have the guys respect instantly. And I always thought that I know I'm rambling here, but like, if you have to demand respect, then you probably haven't earned it. Right. Or you probably don't deserve it. If you fucking go out there and you do your thing and you, and you, deserve respect then you'll have everybody's respect and that's what these new coaches understand and and they treat players like like people and not a, a name on a piece of paper and, and they understand what they're going and they try to help them be better which it's shocking that that's a revelation these days but like these coaches are actually trying to make players better and and you know respond and and coach in a way that that gets the most out of them not not makes them shut down or have to fight against the coach on top of everything else. It's hard enough to play in the NHL without having a coach up your ass all the time in the back of your mind. Right. So I'm glad that that part of the game has changed a lot. And I know I ranted a little bit, but I, no, uh, no, I no, no. I mean, some bottled up feelings about Randy. We didn't, we didn't, we <laughs> didn't get to play. Is, right. So we yeah. get to, we get to hear through you. Right. So that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's what you live, man. That's what we want to hear. That's the, that's the, that's the good stuff. Like we only see the game as it progresses. Like we don't see the behind the scenes and hearing these stories right now about how, you know, and this is the problem with, you know, hockey culture and the old kind of old boys club kind of thing where they have that hard, hard in your face mentality. And that's just not going to cut it anymore. Like that, well, like even back then, like that just seems like a little bit way too harsh to try and, you know, get the most out of your players. I was going to say you had, I mean, just look at Toronto a few years ago where he had Babcock in the city and, and yeah. what he did with Marner and, and tried, tried to fucking embarrass this guy in front of his teammates. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that ultimately that's when we saw the kind of shift in, in coaching mentality, yeah. hopefully. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's what, like Peter said, that's what it's been all about for the last few years is trying to change that, that culture all around. And, and, you know, as you said, there's, it's tough enough to make it to the show. And now you've got these guys trying to fucking, you know, pin you down as well. It's, that's not, that's not what it's supposed to be all about. Yeah, totally. And and I think it's a fine balance because back in the day, you'd have to like, to get through to a guy, you'd scream at him and call him every name in the book and, and go bag skate him or whatever. And then he'd shove it up your ass the next game and prove it right. And then you went, ha ha, I was right. You know, and that works to an extent with certain guys, you got to crack the whip sometimes. Um, and then, but there's you, like you say, you can certainly go too far and then all of a sudden you're a detriment to this guy's success. Right. And on the other hand, there's some guys that need to be babied so badly that you say one thing about them. And then especially nowadays with these younger guys, the, the millennials and Gen Z's and stuff like that seem to operate a little bit differently. And I saw that my last year in North America, you know, I'm 31 and there's 20 year old guys on the team, right? There's a big difference there. And sometimes they're, you know, it, it, it's, it can go the other way where you just got to coddle and baby these guys or they'll go into a shell and completely shut down for a week if you like criticize them or anything. So there is a balance of like toughness, being able to handle it and having thick skin. And then also like, and I like how far is too far? And is this, is this contributing mm -hmm. to anything? Is this a positive impact on this player or is this not? And I think it's on both the coach and the player to, to be able to balance that and, and kind of find a, the right vibe and i think guys do and that's when you have all that chemistry and the team's all firing up as everyone's just on the same page right and that's why yeah, i no. think mental health is also good too because if you get you know verbally abused like that that's just gonna like draw out the worst in anybody right 100 percent, man and uh something you know one talked about ever and like i battled anxiety big time in hockey i didn't know it until like my last year playing hockey i i played with dane byers over there in manchester and uh 
and he had a very, very similar career to me, same timeline, same amount up top, uh, you know, um, switched roles and whatnot. And along the same time periods and everything, same part of the world we are from, we had kids the same age. It was crazy. We overlapped really, really hard. And he talked about the anxiety he had and stuff like that. And I was like, I always knew I had something like it got to the point where I like hated game day because I just couldn't wait for it to be over. So I could just kind of exhale. And I was just like, Oh, you just got nerves going on. Or like, I'm not going to really talk to anyone about that. Cause who wants to hear that? Everyone's fucking preparing for their own day and their own game and whatnot. And oh, I'll just, I'll get over it next game. I'll get over it next game. And it would just, these feelings would keep coming up and my chest would get so heavy and my legs would squeeze. And, and even if I didn't have to fight that night, it was there. And I remember just thinking, you know, as I was older, man, this is what that is. And it was starting to become a thing where you'd talk about and, and it would like, you'd learn about it and you'd be like, holy shit, that makes so much sense, man. That's mm -hmm. exactly what I have. And it's like, if I knew that when I was 20, like that, this is what anxiety is. And then you go and like deal with it accordingly, whatever path you need to go on to, to address that. I think to myself, how much better would I have felt on game days and how much more could I relax and not grip my stick and not you know, freak out every game day and not wait till it's over. And then uh, no matter what, after every single game, I'd be like, Oh my God, Jay, like what's wrong with you, man? That's totally fucking fine. Nothing bad happened. The game went awesome. It always does go fine. This guy's never falling. There's never any disaster scenario. Like relax, man. And then good. Now I know. And you, I feel like a million bucks. Now I'm going to stay with this feeling. Then you'd wake up with a game tomorrow and back to that pitfall in your fucking stomach right and it's it's a tough way to go and i'm glad people are talking about it more because especially if you're running an organization if you're an owner a gm or a coach like get those guys the help that they need to perform mm. because anxiety is so performance related it's hard to do a goddamn thing if you're riddled with anxiety or or depression or ocd or whatever the mental health issue is and like I, I laugh nowadays because you go into an NHL dressing room, there's a hundred thousand uh, dollar treadmill. There's a hyperbaric chamber. There's special leg squeezing devices to squeeze the lactic acid out of your legs. You've got nutritionists and chefs there and you're hydrating and you spent money on this and there's a tracking systems and all this shit to make sure you're good to go physically so that they can say, we've given you every opportunity to win. They spend millions on it. And you, like if you're in really good physical shape you it's, that's fucking irrelevant if you're if your mind is pooched on some different thing like whether it be anxiety or whatever you it's just that your mind will take over your body your legs will squeeze you'll feel weak you'll be tired you're, you're just you're not going to be in the right frame of mind yet they spend zero fucking dollars trying to develop those guys mentally and making sure that they're ready to rock from a from a mind standpoint it's hilarious it's like you spend tens of millions of dollars on their physical physical attributes and absolutely nothing on their mental attributes and their mental conditioning um towards performance and it's an absolute joke and i think in 10 years they'll look back and everyone will have like outfits and and uh different companies and different psychologists and different you know, people in, in, in place to make sure that, Hey, you're a fucking professional athlete in the NHL. You've got to train this thing too, because this thing can be a fucking weapon. Why do you think some of these guys are so good at hockey when they don't skate faster or shoot harder than anyone else? It's, it's, it's where they are mentally and how they think the game and, and where they are. And then the confidence can exude and you can keep building and building. And the sky's the fucking limit. If, if you're good in the brain and I can't tell you how many guys where I'm like, man, if you weren't all fucked up in the head, which you, sometimes, you know, a guy is, it's like you would be absolutely deadly. So now that you get older and I'm more of an adult, I look back and I'm like, God, man, so many kids were, were suffering and battling and they just quietly had to do it all by themselves because no one can talk about that and no one even thinks to fucking help a guy. And yeah, my point's always like, man, those organizations had so much money and all they cared about was winning. When are they going to get get it through their heads that if you help guys with this, it's going to do wonders for everybody. I think the first organization to really take, you know, that, that topic by the horns is going to do some serious damage. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I agree with you. I think the big mm -hmm. thing is that nobody asks either. And, and, and that's, that's kind of where we're hoping that everything goes. But um, one of the things we don't talk about a lot is what happens after hockey. And for you, I mean, this is, this is kind of personal to me because my, my dad's a retired firefighter from, uh, from Oakville here in Ontario. And, uh, um, you're a firefighter now and, and talk a little bit about that and get going from a protector on the ice to now a protector off the ice. 
Yeah, totally. Like uh, I was lucky. I think it was the last couple of years, uh, last handful of years I was playing, I kind of got it in my mind. Like, man, I think I want to be a firefighter because I didn't really allow myself to really think of anything after hockey for a period of time because I was so hyper-focused on, on doing that. But I think it was when I was in Toronto and you know, you start to think about, okay, I just got to stay in this league. And then eventually, hopefully it's 10 years or whatever, but you're going to be done doing this. And we did a team building thing up in, in Trenton, Ontario. And, and we went to a fire hall and we played with all their equipment and we went with bunker gear and a fuselage and they're throwing fire at us and we're driving shit and cutting cars apart. And I was like, oh, this is fun. And then we go in for lunch and we're just bullshitting with the guys and girls that are in, on the, on that crew. And and then I'm like, this is your guys' job, man. Like you do that shit and then you come and hang out and bullshit just like a locker room. So um, that's when I got it in my mind to do it. And then when I decided to retire, there was just an opening in the Calgary Fire Department. And it's kind of tough to go on, to get on. You got to jump through a ton of hoops and get all these, uh, you know, classifications and requirements before you can even start. And then you're doing polygraph tests and all kinds of crazy shit. So it took a while to go through the process, but like before I was retired for a year, I was on, which before that, I don't think they even hired anyone in like three years. So the timing was really good for me, but you know, I seamlessly stepped from hockey into a new career and was able to be quite happy and about it. Um, like I said, I was content with the way I finished and the way I went out. I wasn't pissed off or mad at anyone or anything. So I was just content with the way everything had shaped up. And then I stepped into a career where I'm learning shit all the time. I'm helping people, you know, my adrenaline spikes all the time on crazy calls, which you can't, I, I found, I can't get that anymore in life. You know, you can, I'll go, I went skydiving one time and it was like, fuck, cool rush. What are you gonna do that every day? Like I used to play in the NHL and fight guys bare knuckle and like just crazy shit. And now that I'm retired, I don't get that rush, but you go to firefighting and craziest shit happens and your 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 adrenaline jacks up all the time so you get that out of it and then the camaraderie of the guys around the hall and everything is is hard to replace as well so everything suited up for me quite nicely to be able to have a seamless transition but i know a lot of guys that you know retire and have some serious mental health issues because it's been their identity for forever for their entire life they were known as this hockey player now all of a sudden it's over and whoa who am i and, and what do I do? And it's a total, total transition that oftentimes they're not ready for. And I feel bad for the guys that left hockey or left their hometown at 14 years old to go play at Shattuck or at Notre Dame or something. And, and then all of a sudden, like, you don't have that core group of friends that you went to high school with because you're fucking bouncing around playing junior and stuff. Um, you don't have that hometown feeling that I was lucky. I played junior in my hometown with my brother and um, lived here till I was 18. And the first time I left home was to go play uh, uh, NCAA when I was 19. Um, not everyone has that. So I always had this home base to go back to. But if you didn't have that and then you bounce around and play pro and then say you marry some girl from fucking Cincinnati or something, then all of a sudden you're living there and you're looking around and you're like, all the boys are gone. All the fun is gone everything that I was and that I value and that I've considered myself to be is gone and guys really fucking struggle. So I understand that that can happen for sure. And if I were watching out for anyone, you know, that's about to retire after a long professional career, I definitely watch out for that and make sure that they're prepared for it and, and have a plan and, and all those things that can help you out along the way. Cause it's a, it's a tough transition for a lot of people. I just want to go back to like, you know, just a little quick question. You know, I'm going back, looking at your stats in 2008 and nine, you had 221 pen penalty minutes with Norfolk and then 219 with Lehigh uh, in 2014-15. Um, obviously, you know, th th those point total or like those penalty minutes are high. I just I just want to I'm curious what was behind those uh, penalty field seasons right there? I, I guess I kind of know what the answer is, but uh well, I think you got to add up that Norfolk and the Marley's total because I got traded and I think it was closer to 300 the one right. year where I was going fucking right. crazy. But um, yeah, no, looking back at that kind of blows my mind. Like it, it was switching to forward is what it was. After my second year pro, I switched to forward and it was kind of that or go to the coast. And again, I had a coach that didn't really believe me in me too much. And one point he told me just if the puck touches your stick, put it in the fucking stands because I don't want it on your stick. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> feeling good. That's 20 minutes before the puck drop. And I'm like, ready for this one, coach. So he didn't have a lot of faith in me back there. Um, 
so I switched to forward and, and once I switched to forward, you know, like I said, uh, kind of an asset, the, one of the few assets I had was my skating ability. I could get up there in the play and build some speed and, and get around. So I'd, I just use that to hit guys and I'd, I'd run defensemen and chase the puck down and I'd get in front of the goalie's net and get in his face and, and just kind of cause some shit. And when you do that, you start having the big boys come after you, right? Like, Hey, you better settle down. And then I'd be like, well, I'm not going to settle down because I'm not going to go play in the coast. I'm, I'm, I'm this close to the NHL. At least I was before this coach got hired. Now I'm going to get the hell out of here and, and get back up, you know, for a chance at the big league and just had to do what I had to do. And then, so I didn't back down from those guys. I just fought them. And as I keep fought, fighting and fighting, and I think I had like 23 fights one year and then the next year I went crazy and had like 33 or something like that. And it was like, I just, I just never said no. And I never backed down and I never, never played a different way. So it's like, it's, it's just a, it's a foregone conclusion that if you play like that in that era, you're going to have guys coming at you saying we're going and it's up to you to just oblige or not. So then once you start handling yourself and doing, doing a little bit better and realizing, Hey, I'm actually like, sometimes guys are scared of me when I'm out there. Sometimes guys back down from me. And then all of a sudden you've got a little bit of a name for yourself and and then so-and-so is a tough guy. Okay, well, I'll go him. And I handled him fine. Then next time you're like, hey, we're going again. And you can tell he doesn't really want to. And you're like, fuck, I thought he was a tough guy. And it starts to build and build. And you start to get some confidence going. And, and then you start to like it, right? And, you know, it's always tough beforehand thinking like, you always think, oh, hopefully I don't have to fight tonight. But you always know there's a good chance you will against certain teams. And uh, it was never great before a game or the day of a game or getting ready for the game. But as soon as the puck dropped and I was in my gear and on the ice, I was just like, fucking bring anything on. Like, I love this shit. I love the mayhem. I love the sweat and the screaming and the yelling and the bleeding even. And it just, it just, I've never felt anything like after a fight in hockey or a big scrum or brawl where your adrenaline's through the roof, but you're completely exhausted. It feels like you just got in a car accident and it's just, and then there's a bunch of fans screaming. Like, it's just insane. So I guess I just kind of got hooked on that and liked it and enjoyed it. But I remember I always kind of say my dad would call down like down to the States from, from back home in Alberta here. And I think one night I got in like three fights in one night and then you get kicked out and my dad called me and he's like, what the fuck is going on? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't always that way. Right. And I'm just like, I don't know, dad, I'm just trying to get the fuck out of here so I can play in the show, you know? So <laughs> And yeah, I guess it worked because Brian Burt came calling and wanted to put something together and called for my name and traded for me. And that fall I was on the starting roster. So it all worked out. But um, yeah, just you just do what you got to do, man. You, you put the blinders on and kind of head down ass up and just do what you got to do for the team and for yourself and and just give her shit. And I think most guys have kind of a, a similar approach to how it all happened. It wasn't necessarily planned for a lot of guys. Well, Jay, we're not going to take much more of your time. This has been awesome. Uh, speaking as somebody who missed out on, started watching the Leafs in the mid-2000s, missed out on the days of Ty Domi and all that. You know, you're one of the first pure fighters that I remember watching. So getting to shoot the shit with you and pick your brain about hockey is pretty cool. Um, one final question. It's totally has nothing to do with hockey. Just a rapid fire answer. Apparently it's National Sandwich Day. What's your go-to? Ooh, sandwiches <laughs> like a pastrami with sauerkraut on it. Just yeah, a good yeah. old smoked Montreal one. Yeah, Love classic. You, you ever, you ever hit up? Yeah, I, I was just going to ask that There question. you go. There you go. <laughs> what do you say? Schwartz's. You ever tried Schwartz's in Montreal? Oh, yeah, I have. There I you totally go. have. It's the best smoked meat. meat sandwich I've ever had. Ridiculous. Yeah. Well, there you go, gentlemen. And uh, Jay, as as uh, Alex mentioned, we're very, very uh, excited to have you on. And, and uh, hopefully we can do this again. You want to give your show a quick shout out as well? Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's uh it's been a blast and yeah, I never thought about that, man. Like if you're a Leafs fan and the first time you really paid attention to a guy was that era, that's that's pretty wild, man. So I appreciate it. And uh yeah, we got a, a show with Nick Alberga, uh Leafs Morning Take it's called. So that's on uh, live on YouTube and it's on all the podcasts, Spotify, Apple, all that thing too. So we're on at 11 a.m. Eastern time every weekday. So yeah, we're breaking it down just like you guys and uh seeing what's going on in the crazy world of Leafs nation. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, hopefully you have a great experience on leaf Twitter the way we have over the last <laughs> bunch of years. But uh, again, thank you very much for coming on Jay. And uh, we look forward to talking to you uh, again down the road. Well, again, thanks for having me guys. And once again, that, uh, that interview was brought to you by the Indie Ale House. Hockey is back and with it, 
So are the Maple Leafs. Getting ready for a night out or watching the game at home with the gang, what better way to do it than with a nice cold one from the folks at the Indy Ale House in Toronto? With two locations in the city at Italy, Toronto at Bay and Bloor, the Biroteca location, they have two big screens, amazing authentic Italian food, and loads of beer. Also at OG Brew Pub in the junction at Keel and Dundas. With 120 seats, famous bar food, and 12 taps, Indie Ale House is an award-winning brewery featuring their flagship Instigator IPA and dozens of rotating monthly special release beers. Perfect for takeout, dine-in, or bottle shop online. Orders when, or sorry, bottle shop online orders when planning for game night. You can find Instigator IPA and Marco Polo Pilsner at finer LCBOs across the province as well. Hashtag Live Indie is the motto. Adventurous, fun-focused beers with a selection for everyone from a healthy dose of in-your-face hoppy beers for the beer geeks to mainstream pilsners and easy drinking options. Indie Ale House is the go-to for game day. Visit them at www.indialehouse.com to place your online orders today. Um, yeah, man, Jay Rosehill, what a what a what a character! Uh, hell of an interview. Yeah. Um, really got down to the nitty gritty of his career, the career of a, of a tough guy, the career of, you know, a guy that had really had like quite literally had to fight his way to mm-hmm. the NHL and uh, definitely, uh, definitely some, some major feelings as to, as to, you know, how he had to get there and, and the, the, the obstacles he had to face to get there. And um, you know, I, we talked about it on the podcast all the time, the, the, the pressures of being a role player in the NHL as well, the mental health aspect of the game yeah. and, and the way the game is changing now. Um, just a hell of an interview with, uh, with Mr. Rosehill. Yeah. Great insight as always about from his career to the everything in between. And we also talk about like, you know, we saw the human side of that too, of everything going on, um, you know, of, uh, during and after where he's talking about like, you know, anxiety and everything like that and looking out for your yourself and like, you know, the players coming up right now, it's great that he talked about that because that's a major talking point right now. And it's very important that we all need to talk about, we all need to get the help that we need. And the fact that he brought it up as well is, shows that you know the conversation still needs to happen in regards to mental health so that that was one really important aspect that stood out in our talk with him yeah no absolutely and and another thing that he uh noted very early early on in the interview and i'm glad you guys brought it up was the matthews situation with connect the other night uh, against philadelphia and um you know leafs twitter they everyone has their own opinion we've been a part of leaf twitter for for quite some time so oh, we yeah. understand that there's uh there's 500 different um, takes opinions takes on uh, yeah <laughs> on on what what the right move would have been for Austin Matthews and as you noted and as Alex noted on on your your personal twitters no matter which way Austin Matthews went he would have lost yeah. whether he defended himself got hurt got suspended got penalized you know leave twitter would have been pissed off whether he had defend uh, not defended himself and stood back as he did leave twitter would have been pissed off you had Michael Rupp or Mike Rupp jump in and say that he should have, you know, forget the uh, the soft noodle hands and and he should have at least grabbed somebody and not looked so disengaged. I don't think he was disengaged. I think his he gave his, him a pretty good shot. He gave him the the best thing was when Konechny came back at him and he gave him a shot right in yeah. the chest and nearly knocked his bucket off. Mm-hmm. And we talked to Jay a little bit about it, a guy who played that role, a guy who was in there, and he said the same thing. He said that. Austin Matthews is a guy who's earned the respect that he should not have to fight his ba- those battles. That's not his job, especially when you're up five, two with two minutes left in the game. That's not, that's not a battle that Austin Matthews should be getting into. And this being our only talking point of the night, I want to get your opinion on what Austin Matthews should have done as not, not only a, an, some might argue he instigated by going back at Konechny, but Konechny was going after him all game. What's your take on Austin Matthews and, and the role he played in that that kerfuffle at the end of the game? I mean, he wouldn't have to make that response if Konechny didn't initiate the first hit in the first place, which is why Matthews went back. Kind of everyone's saying Matthews instigated, but Konechny was the one that made the hit. Matthews didn't like it, so he gave a shot back. They went back and forth, so be it. Um, yeah, I I absolutely had no problem with what Matthews did. I mean, we, we see him standing up for himself in terms of like being more physical and getting into the corners and laying a hit, which is great. We want to see him utilize the size a bit more. He doesn't need a fight. 
I mean, like Jay said, you know, he's already got the wrist issue kind of thing. And one punch, one wrong move, and he's going to be out for a long term. You don't want him to throw that punch. Even in the same instance with McDavid, you have people standing up for him. You saw Mark Giordano just jump right in there and come to his defense. And same with Bunting. The fact that he sent a shot that he didn't like what Konechny did was a good, was a perfectly good response. He didn't, he didn't need to do anything else. And the fact that he got, and this is why I want to see more of this from every single Maple Leaf player, not just from Matthews, but if they see something that they don't like, if they bump into Samsonov, they bump, if they do a hit from behind, go after somebody and send a message because that's not going to fly no matter who it is. It could be a star. It could be a role player, no matter what. I want to see that response. I want to see that intensity. I want to see that camaraderie that they have for one another to show that, Hey, you mess with one of us, you're going to mess with all of us. And the fact that Matthews had support right then and there, if Matthews had thrown in there, someone's going to say, Oh, well, how come nobody stepped in front of him? And we talked about this on the, uh, the answer before he stood up for himself. Uh, people are going to say, Oh, he shouldn't have to fight his battles. The fact that he doesn't, someone else comes in, he needs to fight his battles. It, it's never going to end. It's going to be one or two things or four, three or four different things. Never one concise answer from everybody. I thought he handled it perfectly. And the fact that he's still sending those shots saying, Hey, back off. He doesn't need to fight. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I had no problem with him re-engaging with uh, Konechny after the original hit. You know, they gave him a, gave him, gave him a little cross-check on the shoulder. Um, you know, the 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 fuck you slap, the fuck you slash. And, and uh, you know, he, he gave him the chop at the end when he came back at him. But you had Bunting there. You had Giordano who, who took down Konechny like a linebacker. And Konechny still went back at Matthews. Like, mm-hmm. for me... You're a 60 goal scorer. You stay out of that stuff, regardless. Um, somebody goes in there and you know wants to wants to get involved, and you're the fifth man with the fifth man. Then sure, yeah. I mean, you kind of engage a little bit, but at the same time, I mean, you're up five two with two minutes left. There's there's no need. There's absolutely absolutely no need, and uh, I had no issue with it. I think he's like I said. I think he's earned earned the respect that he doesn't have to get engaged like that, and um, you know, so be it. Uh, it, it is what it is. The game's over. Leafs won five, five, two. And, and, uh, yeah, best I, game I, since the Winnipeg Jets game, I'm just going to game, that. Absolutely. And John Tavares, all those John Tavares haters out there. I mean, look at what he's done. Look at what he's done. Four points, uh, last night against, uh, Philly and, uh, man, did he look good on that, that second goal. So vintage JT right there. Vintage just JT. Absolutely just manhandle Travis Anaheim with those moves. Like doesn't just have to be the fastest guy on the ice, man. So hard. Yeah. Doesn't have to be the fastest guy on the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, uh, before we close it out here, Peter, anything you wanted to uh, throw out there for our listeners? Um, no, I mean, just, you know, still, still with the content over at the hockey writers, obviously that, um, you know, just a lot of work coming out. That's basically it at this point. Well, as always, guys, I hope you enjoyed the uh, interview with Jay Rosehill. He, it was an absolute pleasure to have him on. Um, what a guy. What a character. Uh, you know, loved, loved the adrenaline of playing uh, playing in the show. And, 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 man, did we ever see it when he was with the Leafs. So, um, with that, you can follow my co-host, Alex, at Ahobson Media on Twitter. You can follow Peter at P. Barracchini. Or you can follow myself at Andrew G. Forbes. You can also follow the podcast at sticks in the six pod that's s-t-i-x-i-n-t-h-e six i-x-p-o-d um or you can check us out on any of our any of our socials instagram tiktok find us on all of them um you can download our podcast make sure you subscribe on youtube as our live shows will be going live on youtube um you can uh hit us up on spotify iHeartRadio, um and uh big shout out to india house for their sponsorship of the show as well with that Another show in the books, episode 101. Thanks for joining us. We will see you next week.